Hi, welcome to the Rethink Energy Weekly podcast, where the Rethink Energy analysts talk about the week's energy news. I'm Peter White, and we've got with us a solar analyst from Australia, Andries Vontanar. Hello. Uh, hydrogen and aviation specialist, uh, Bogdan Avramuta. Hello. And our EV and oil analyst, uh, Connor Watts. Hello. And finally, our production manager, Simon Thompson, is with us as well. Hello, Peter. All right, Simon. Uh, on today's podcast, we're going to discuss how come uh, Germany's RWE has jumped to become one of the largest US renewable owners virtually overnight. We'll also ask if Mayor Berger can single-handedly create a solar force in Europe. And we pondered the idea of building more energy islands, um, energy based in the sea, uh, with a new one triggered in the North Sea uh, this week, connecting Belgium, the UK and Denmark. Uh, And we'll see what Simon's uh, made of the issue this week as well. Okay. Um, First, we're going to talk about US renewables, and we're going to talk about the um, purchase, uh, the agreed purchase this week um, of Con Ed's, Con Edison's renewables base by uh, RWE. Um, has everyone read the story? Y- yes, uh, well, I, I did, and it's it's just the the Con Ed renewable um, division. I mean, it's it's a huge utility in, in, in New York. It's, it's the, the biggest in New York. So it's a it's a massive deal. It's it's immense. $6.8 billion purchase. And is that in cash? Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's in cash, but um, uh, very probably. Uh, it's, they're raising some debt, but they're also um, doing a convertible um, uh, share issue to the, um, funnily enough, the Qatar uh, um, uh, investment fund, um, which is um, is really it's it's kind of um, replacement revenue for when Qatar runs out of gas and oil. <laughs> um, uh, put about two, two and a half billion uh, of that money in. Um, it, it's I mean to, so it's it's uh, it's all everything this week is all about what's going on in the world uh, in in energy um, right now. Uh, you've got the Biden uh, IRA Act um, stimulating everybody to move as fast as possible towards renewables in America. Um, New York's made various announcements um, about wanting to be one of the leading states um, pushing into renewables, and that's going to cost Consolidated Edison a lot of money. Um, it, it doesn't need to own the renewables it already has. It's going to build a load more. Um, it, it probably is going to pay companies like RWE to build a load more. Um, so it, it manages to get itself um, $6.8 billion in cash. Um, it cancelled a, a, a share issue that it was, um, that it was lining up. And so, you know, the, as you set more deadlines in America because of the uh, Biden ambition, you've really got, um, you've got people wanting to lose assets and, and have free money. Um, and in Europe, it's really quite interesting. Everybody who's, all the utilities who um, have not been bankrupted, but I mean, this wouldn't, you wouldn't have got Uniper buying um, uh, Consolidated Edison because Uniper's just been um, forced into the hands of the German government. But RWE um, 
it has to be thought of as really on the ball. It's managed to make sure that none of the Russian gas price hike has have affected it in the slightest. They've written off any costs in, in Q2, and um, they, they've cleaned the decks, and they are perhaps more agile at this moment in time than any of the other large European utilities. And, and so suddenly they can, they can find the money and they can do the deal. I wouldn't have thought Consolidated Edison had um, much of a queue uh, lining up at this moment for, because there's so much uncertainty in the world. But um, the price was great, you know, 11 times EBITDA, which is, um, uh, I, I suppose it's about right for a, 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 an energy um, arm. But um, even so, I think um, that, that's a low price. And I think uh, it's a great deal for both of them. Uh, I mean, are there other deals like this out there? I wouldn't have thought NL, who's probably the, the largest op, um, utility outside of China, um, started in Italy and is uh, freewheeling and doing deals in America. I wouldn't have thought NL has time to think about it, what with the fact that Italy is one of the worst countries affected by um, the gas squeeze from Russia, and at the same time, it's got a brand new prime minister in its home country, um, which is um, threatening to change the rules around energy and have a spat with the EU. So um, companies like NL were probably preoccupied um, and didn't didn't uh, uh, want to do a deal with uh, Con Ed. Um, but how many more companies might be in the, in the coming months, likely or years, likely to do something similar? I was going to say, because of the strength of the dollar at the moment, surely American companies would be, you know, going the other way. Um, uh, it's so strong against the, the euro and, and other currencies. Well, it, it's stronger against the pound. The pounds, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but the euro, yeah, and it is slightly stronger than normal on the euro, but it's not, it's not it's been a, a disastrous um, journey for the, for the euro. But obviously... You know, the Russian war affects Europe a lot more than it affects America. What were you going to say, Andres? Actually, I was going to say something similar. It is a bit strange that it's this way around. Although, you know, it's not, it's not actually the only company, come to think of it, that's German and is looking to have more operations in, in the US. I wrote a bit about Maya Berger. We don't have to move on to that entirely already, but it, it, it too has had its first biggest um, module purchase. It's not coming from the... EU, but from the US. You've got to think about where, where you want to make money. If you think about our business, most of our customers, or a large proportion of them, are American. And making money in dollars right now is a really good thing. And, and so, although it might cost more to, to buy such a deal, um, it, it's the outcome is what you're earning is in a currency that's getting stronger. Ah, yes. Yes, it has been sort of the, the, the ruble and the dollar staying quite strong, and then lots of other currencies depreciating. I certainly noticed that with the yuan. I never know how to, to think about... I mean, the economists among us might understand this better, but I never know how to think about uh, the Chinese currency. I mean, it, it's... Um, does China just print money? Uh, I, I'm not really sure. Um, uh, but, it, but clearly, whatever it's doing is working. They will keep the yuan at a competitive rate for their manufacturing to be... Competitive globally, as long as they get about that, but it not being on a floating exchange makes things a little difficult when it comes to trust within that institution that is issuing said 
money. It's part of why UN isn't exactly at a point where it can be the global reserve. That's why USD will stay dominant. And, until such a time as China changes its position on currency. Exactly, yes. As long as they're yeah, the ones in charge of the currency and the markets aren't, there's an implicit kind of distrust. I understand. But at the same time, um, the uh, modern monetary theory would suggest that uh, to, ha- to be in charge of your own currency is, is to be free to uh, uh, kind of print money um, when, you, when you're in dire straits, as long as it doesn't promote inflation. Another thing this RW, about this RWE deal is, is the sort of surprise that, that a German power company has a lot of money to, to spend and invest in things. Because when you think of German uh, power right now, you, think it, you just think, oh, disaster, uh, 700 euros per megawatt hour back in August or whatever it was. Yeah, um, still going and, on. and so it's really, about, it's really about whether these companies, you know, they, they, they benefit in a sense from, from the higher electricity price. But of course, that is because they are having to pay for higher uh, gas prices. So it's a it's a question of how much gas do they have. All right, but RWE, of course, doesn't um, uh, has ch- changed its personality uh, in 2019 quite dramatically. It did a deal with Eon uh, and gave Eon all of its um, retail customers, and in return, it took all the renewables um, that they had between them. And so that was one deal. Um, they barely digested that meal, and here they are doing a similar-sized deal again to get into America. Now, that, those, that last renewables deal got it um, a lot of renewables that were all over the world. Um, Europe, yes, uh, Asia, uh, quite a lot in Asia. This now gets them uh, renewables in, in America, gives them a more established base. Now, both Iberdrola and NL kept all their customer relationships in their home countries. And in fact, uh, you know, Iberdrola has bought out um, utilities in other, other European countries. But uh, they've also managed to invest aggressively in renewables and get uh, a decent size arm in the United States. So this is ca- playing catch up. This is seeing what some other European utilities have managed to do and saying, well, you know, I should, have, I should be doing that. Let's, let, you know, here's an opportunity. Um, because everybody else is busy running from um, the price of Russian gas or, or the price of gas because of Russia. Uh, uh, so, so it's, I mean, it's very rapid movement. I mean, I, I think it's, that's why I kind of refer to it as swashbuckling. When um, Vodafone acquired uh, an operator in uh, Germany in the, uh, in the uh, 1990s or 2000s, uh, it was considered uh, impossible for an Amer- a UK company to buy a German company that was a pub- on the public markets. But it did it, and it did it overnight in, in a deal that no one even heard of. And suddenly it happened, it just bang. And they did the same with uh, in places like India. So this is how you build empires. You, you, you wait for the right moment and you, and you pounce. It's all a big game of chess, isn't it? Well, it is a big game of chess. I mean, you, you, what you, you, these guys look at is they're looking at the returns on investment other people are getting and saying, hang about, they're getting more than us. Why are we here? Why, we want to be over there. And, and they, they constantly keep their eye on that because they're always dealing with um, development. They're always looking at the, the potential profitability of, of a, a, an undeveloped project and going, well, it'd be nice if we had more of these or we had nice more of the... Bit more of these over there, um, and that, because they're 
You know, companies are, are information machines. They're built to flow information inwards to the centre, to where the decisions are made. And, um, and, and they're opaque uh, if you're looking at them from the outside. But um, from the inside, they can see the kind of profitability that's possible going forwards. And also, they're, 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 there's a speculation here that the movement against the dollar is semi-permanent. So, so this is an investment into more renewables that's powered by, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, by an owner of renewables being able to charge high power prices, even though its cost of uh, running things hasn't really changed. Uh, does that mean that these windfall taxes on renewable developers would be a threat to the energy transition at all? I think you've just mixed up a few metaphors there. Um, obviously, American utilities are not getting um, windfall taxes, and uh, and obviously they're regulated in a way um, in in their, from their rate bases in what they can charge and how much they they can pay to renewables providers. So they kind of have an arm's length relationship even with within they have a kind of Chinese wall even within the groups um, di different in perhaps in Europe but we've, we've probably spent too long on this it, it's I just think there's going to be more um, I think that the things that like this um, trigger uh, re-evaluations by everybody else uh, I think that a lot of American um, companies are sitting there saying how can I benefit from the um, Inflation Reduction Act how can I get on that gravy train? And what do I need? Do I need some cash? And what can I sell? So I think we'll see more re-evaluations of this type over the coming months. Um, but on, on the Mayor Burger front, um, um, they raised another $253 million for manufacturing. And it doesn't seem to be... Uh, is it dollars or... No, it's Swiss francs, yeah. Um, and, um, well, they're almost equal... Uh, in any case, they're, they're virtually the same. Yeah, I realise they're almost pegged to one another, um, and um, they're going to grow to being able to produce three gigawatts uh, of um, of heterojunction um, PV by the end of twenty twenty four. That's that's considerable growth. Yeah, and something you asked me after seeing that is, uh, what should we now say about European manufacturing? But I just solar manufacturing. But I just can't imagine the Europeans um, cutting out Chinese supplies. And you'll probably argue with me a bit on that because the EU Parliament says, "Oh, we should sanction Xinjiang," and then I say, "Oh, but the Commission won't do it." And then the Commission does do it. But then I say, "Oh, but they're going to let the nations enforce it, and the, the specific nations won't choose to enforce it properly." So, but I, I think, I think what will happen is. The European solar manufacturing will, will still get have to face competition from Chinese imports. Um, now, Maya Berger will be able to sell in the EU because it has a specialised product for residential, which is certainly you know a good thing to have there. But I think a lot of it will get sucked into the US because the US does have trade restrictions and full-blown sanctions on Chinese products. So you might see European solar manufacturing that just serves the US. What do you think about that? Uh, well, but, but, but as you said here, they're going to build a plant in the US. So, you know, they've made that abundantly yeah. clear um, that uh, they're going to build um, a 400 megawatt plant in Arizona. Um, and the other ones are in Freiburg. So, so that's... Yeah, it's basically even. They're developing half and half so far. Right, right. Between Europe and... Yeah, yeah so, I mean, I think... Um, 
So you've got to go back to about 2018 to realise that um, we didn't have a um, exactly a uh, tariff on importing Chinese modules. We had a minimum price rule, so that Chinese modules had to charge more, had to charge the same as a German manufacturer. I can't remember the name of it because I believe it immediately went out of business. And, and so there was no longer any point in keeping your prices as low as this German manufacturer. However, this, here we've got another German manufacturer, um, one that's much more advanced and potentially uh, could re remain competitive with China for some time to come. Certainly got the intellectual property to do that. Whether it's got the, the manufacturing um, know-how is another matter. Uh, should have, because it used to make manufacturing equipment. So it, it's obviously got all the right ingredients, but that's but but once it comes under stress, the first thing that will happen is we'll put a minimum price rule on, on Chinese imports to protect it. Um, but it's it's doubling down because it's saying, and we can sell our stuff in China, and we're even gonna, uh, in America, uh, the Chinese can't, and we're even going to build a factory there. So. I would have thought, if you go to a source of funding and say, would you like to fund this proposition, it wouldn't take too much convincing for people to realise that they can't lose in the short term, in the in the four, oh, yeah. four or five-year time frame. I don't know Absolutely. about long term. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's another thing. I mean, the trouble with uh, solar is there's always another revolution around the corner. You know, you were writing this week about um, how Perovskites was a false dawn and, how, and whatever happened to Oxford PV. And, yeah, but, but, but now we're writing about that. We're, you know, we're two years late on Perovskites revolutionising the industry, but we're probably three years um, away from them actually revolutionising the industry. So, Oh, I think they're, they're always one year away, no matter what year you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, we can't get hide nor hair out of Oxford PV. They're, they're, they're not talking. Um, I think I think it is. I, it's certainly some kind of technological issue that was expected to be surpassed and wasn't. I think it's the issue of scaling up. No, um, no, it's absolutely not. Not in, not in Oxford not. PV's case. They they claim, and I believe them, mm. to have solved all those problems. They need a manufacturing facility, and they were relying on Mayor Berger to provide mm. the. Um, the technology that, that allowed the, the two, the, the tandem, uh, um, the, the uh, um, silicon and perovskite to work together, and yes. and they just dropped out of the business, and then they sued each other, and they stopped talking to one another, and they and they couldn't, and they haven't been able to find a replacement. I think this is a ma manufacturing problem. If it's that close, if it just needs Meyerberger to make it, why doesn't Meyerberger just? Why didn't they just stick with the Oxford PV? Because they wanted to keep all the intellectual property and steal all their ideas at the same time mm. while being a competitor. I mean, you know, mm. or if they didn't, that's probably what Oxford PV thought. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the day that somebody sat on the board says, oh, by the way, we're going to make panels as well. Someone says, what? You can't compete with us. That's not fair. Well, you know, sorry, we are. Oh, well, then get out. I mean, uh, yeah. I feel I feel like Oxford PV should, if it's not a problem with perovskites, then Oxford B PV should be able to find it an, an alternative supplier. Uh, no, they should, like, but, but it will be Chinese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it would be JS Machine, I think. Okay, so so um, I, why haven't they? They've got the money, they've got the location, they've got half of the the production line built. They're not selling anything. 
Um, they're sitting on a pile of money. They can't spend it. You know, they're not going anywhere, and they're they're not doing anything about it. Is, I mean, so mm. it's either weak management or there's there's a deeper problem. As you say, it could be a technical issue, but I don't think you start building a manufacturing line if you've got a technical issue. True, although these are still mm, pilot lines, and maybe the existence of a pilot line is a useful way to get more speculatory, um, you know, investment. Yeah, I, I just um, I just think um, you know this move by Mayor Berger is effectively uh, taking the wind out of box of PV sales. And they, someone who was an ally is now an enemy, and they, and they probably haven't got the, um, the management on board to resolve the issue. Uh, I mean, they're all engineers. I'm, I'm sorry if you're listening, Oxford PV. I know, I know you're mostly all engineers, um, but um, you know you need someone with some business now to solve the problem. Um, let's hope they call us after that one. <laughs> but but do we really think? Yeah, you know, I I don't really think that that um, PV is going to make a a, um, a, a, a a comeback in Europe at, at scale. I mean, obviously maybe one point two gigawatts scale, but but that's just one company. Um, there aren't four or five companies doing this, are they? Well, there's uh, there's I think Three Sun is a company that has a few gigawatts um, of production capacity for at least part of the supply chain. That's being supported um, by the European Union. I mean, uh, it, this is going to be my next research topic, okay. so then I can answer it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I think we—I don't think, think we know for sure. I think Andres will find out. I think that I've—I've um, <clears throat> um, I've followed the IT revolution with Europe always failing and ending up selling American products. Uh, in this instance, it's um, always selling Chinese products. But, but making some money uh, from it. Um, that, I think it's more likely that we'll have large-scale implementation of solar across Europe. I mean, Germany, um, the, the electricity was already the most expensive in Europe before the gas hike. And now mm. it's, it's three times more expensive than anywhere else in Europe. Um, perfect for uh, buying and building home solar. Uh, and... and Lots of housing going up. Uh, the problem there is permits and, um, and uh, yeah, it's just permits and getting stuff done. But yeah, I wrote another, I wrote another piece that mentioned permitting, and it, it just feels like Germany is, is still headed for some kind of power disaster because all of the things that they could do, well, they can't ease sanctions and probably don't want to still. They can't really build new... Nuclear plants and the the the, the maintenance <laughs> can't, can't of existing ones. Coal plants. Exactly. They can, and, only, can and only keep them open in a couple of more years. I was reading the 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 sort of FAQ around the development of this one mega project that LEAG has um, announced, and it's almost begging to to not be obstructed by uh, various approval systems. And oh, the first gigawatt will come online in twenty twenty six. I mean, you look at the, the the pace of development in Germany and the permitting process, you'd think they're the country that isn't worried. And then you look at the end of, and that's, oh, seven gigawatts, big deal for Germany. But, uh, and you look at the end of the, of the like, weekly orders, and I'm saying, oh, seven gigawatts by 2024 in this Chinese province, another seven gigawatts in this other Chinese province that only has 15 million people living in it, and they have cheap coal power anyway. It's like, which of these countries is the one with the power crisis? The Chinese are acting like they have a power crisis when they still have 
1,300 gigawatts of coal capacity, and their coal price is a third of the global trade in price. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's over-regulation, um, but would you like to live near a wind farm, so, you know, have solar panels in every field when you go for a walk? I mean, that's, that's the yeah. issue. It's, it's nimbyism, um, for, for the most part, in a settled, industrialised society that's not growing very much. Um, that's the issue with um, multiple renewable industries around the world. Um, I mentioned in one of my articles a few weeks ago that um, at the upcoming United Nations Climate Change Conference, um, I think it's in Egypt in November, um, a lot of wind um, companies, um, they signed up to this wind manifesto, which basically asked the world to remove the friction of permitting and bureaucracy when it comes to renewables. And at the same time, yesterday I was um, I was watching the, the replay of the conservative um, conference. conference in, I think it was Birmingham. And uh, Claire Johnson, uh, not Johnson, sorry, Claire Jackson, the CEO of um, Hydrogen UK, was basically talking about the same things about permitting and how, how that will represent a, a huge hurdle. To renewables. Yeah, well, where, where, were all, where was Extinction Rebellion when, when they were building all the coal plants? You know, there, there was no permitting issues back then, or the gas plants. There have not been any permitting problems around gas plants. But as soon as it, it, it's something you can see that's spread across a countryside, it's not in one place, um, the Brits and the Germans just come out and say, no, not in my backyard. There's this map I, I'm looking at. Uh, I, I should really say who made it, shouldn't I? It's the RMI's energy transition narrative that you showed us. And they've got a map of the world, and they have, like, uh, oh, Africa has one has the potential to install 1,000 times as much renewable energy as it needs to serve its demand. And then Latin America and Australia can easily install 100 times as much. And then the US and China and India can easily can install, well, not easily, they can install, like, if they cram everything they can install more than 10 times the amount they need. But then Europe, specifically Central Europe, along with Japan and South Korea, if we crammed in all of the solar and wind that we possibly could into every bit of open space, uh, we'd have less than 10 times the amount. So it, it's not just some sort of indulgent thing. It, it, does, res it does reflect a certain difference in terms of population density population and natural density conditions. And, in, and the level of industrialisation. You know, all the building space is taken up. But on that note... Let's kick to the last uh, item we were due to discuss. Um, Bogdan's written about a, an island they're building in the North Sea um, to make it into an energy island. And that it could be a great way of, if you've got nimbyism, you can create your own island and, and just build it there. And if you've got um, uh, permit problems, you can make it, uh, you just need one permit to build the island. Okay. Um, yes, I think the appeal is um, it's twofold. I think it basically streamlines the infrastructure the way I see it, because once the island is going to be constructed, it's going to be connected to all those countries around uh, continental Europe and the UK. It plans to, once once a new offshore wind farm pops up, um, it just connects to that, and then you obviously already have the infrastructure going to transmitting the energy to, to those countries. Um, and the second reason is so those countries will be easily um, able to share or rather sell the um, energy from one to another. 
um, which I think it's all in light of the um, um, current energy crisis, um, trying to avoid dependency on natural gas and, and so things like that. This is Belgium, UK and Denmark? Yes. Okay, and, and, and why wouldn't the Dutch join in? Why wouldn't a few other countries join in as well? I mean, that, that might make sense. Well, I think Germany um, might join in because the group that's making the island, it's called Elia Group. It's a uh, group of two companies. Elia is a uh, transmissions company in Belgium. And uh, the second company, which I don't remember the name of, is actually a German company. So if, if the news would break that Germany would join in on this deal, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, as, as for the Dutch, I have no idea why they haven't joined in yet. Uh, but Denmark are planning to build another one of those islands um, in their part of the North Sea. I mean, the, the beauty of the North Sea is how deep is it? It's just not very deep. It's 60 or 70 metres deep. It's, it, it, we're on the same continental shelf as Europe. It's the gap between the UK and, and uh, Europe for the most part, uh, and a bit, a bit going north, um, east of there. And so that North Sea is, is absolutely prime. Um, that's why we can do uh, offshore wind farms um, with, with fixed um, fixed bases uh, throughout the North Sea. And and obviously building an island just makes it a little more comfortable to actually put people there and uh, and have lots of resources like a hydrogen um, electrolyzer facility and you could either, um, and you can have ships come by and collect the hydrogen. So, uh, you know, and you can have a cable to the mainland to transmit the electricity. You, you, you've got, you've got the possibility. It's also to have substations there isn't it yeah so that you you, you transmit you, you you change it there and you have fewer losses from that point on yeah whose yeah, so his, his tax regime it comes into <laughs> make it a tax island as well and then just switch some energy from germany to to the uk and and, and charge more for it and then move the taxes out through belgium I, you know I, I wonder if there are some financial benefits to doing it that way. Isn't there, like, a, a group of libertarians on a oil platform somewhere that declared themselves on a, an independent <laughs> republic? I hope so. I think there was, uh, a, there was one in Italy. Did. There was a movie about it, actually. OK, so we've talked about some of the stories that we've got today. But I'm quite... Um, um, intrigued that um, that there's two other things that that's just happened in the, the, the last day. Number one, the the new sanctions against Russia. They include this. It, it finally, the, the Europe, Europe came up with the idea a couple of months ago, but finally, it's this idea that you can export oil from Russia and send to a third world country as long as it's cheaper than a price cap that Europe's placed on it so that Russia can't get paid billions of dollars to fuel its war effort. So they're trying to... Um, they're about to enact that um, and, and they've got in place the checks and balances so they can see that Russia won't be getting excess money. And the following day, OPEC Plus decides to cut oil production. I mean, that's why you don't have a, um, a, a, a what do we call them? 
um, a cartel. cartel. You know, the whole point of cartels being illegal is they do price manipulation. Uh, th this is going to create a, a complete war with uh, Washington and, and Europe. Uh, and isn't it 2%, uh, 2 million barrels per day, which is also about 2% of global supply? Yeah, oh, and we, so, so number one, we said in 2019 we've reached peak oil. And everyone's saying, no, no, we'll be back over that in no time. We, we, we're still 2% under peak oil now. So cutting another 2% means we're 4% under peak oil. The, the, there is a sense that, that the OPEC Plus understands. I mean, maybe they just Saudi is just buddies with Russia, but uh, and they're the two power plays here. But maybe they understand that it's a dwindling resource. Get as much for it as you can. It's going to run out. It's not going to run out. It's going to stop being used. Yeah, yeah. Something about uh, the Biden administration telling the the Saudis. Oh, we want we want you to produce lots of oil so we can buy it instead of having to maintain our existing, uh, you know, maintain and expand our our own fossil fuel domestic production capacity. Is like, oh yeah, we're planning to stop using this, but we want you to be the ones who are left holding the buck and <laughs> make the maintained infrastructure when we we, we stop using it. Listen, we'll Saudi, Saudi has had time and time again. It's <laughs> turned away from building out its own solar infrastructure which could be driving a massive hydrogen base, and they could have done it out of its oil profits, and they've said they're going to do stuff like that over and over again, and then failed to do it. That's, that's not so strictly they, true. They've still got a bit more time to do it, though. With, with the, ne the building of NEOM, the, the city, uh, that's, I think it's being built on the, the concept of renewable energy. Uh, they've said they're going to do it, and the Saudis like to say they're going to do things, right? That's right. They don't necessarily like doing them. Mm. Yeah, no, so, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll believe it when it happens. And, and there have been multi-gigawatt-scale propositions in, in Saudi. But, you know, it, it'll happen sometime. So what, what do you think will happen if OPEC Plus cuts oil production? Well, the price goes up, but that you know, the Biden administration still won't... Uh, relax, you know, the restrictions on uh, developing American production. So really, the, the Saudis can just benefit from that, right? Mm, yeah, for a while, but I'm surely he just opens up all the places he, he said he wouldn't let um, drill for oil. And, and it's a five to seven year um, exploration frenzy by the fossil fuel industry, which will then provide too much oil and result in a price crash. Mm. Um, yeah. There's a weird, there's a weird tension because, on the one hand, um, we don't want high oil prices because they're painful. But on the other hand, I think it is kind of welcomed that it's pushing energy transition, including by the Biden administration. Do you think so? I'm not sure everybody out there understands that. But just, just to underline what you're saying, is yes, it does push the energy transition. People hurry up, investors, um, but investors are torn. They're saying, well, if people are going to open up new forms of production and oil's going to be at this $100 for the whole time, maybe I should be putting my money into oil. There is that, that, that concern that, they, that not as many put their money into renewables. But also at a high price to consumers and citizens. They don't care about the consumers <laughs> and citizens. I mean, that's the thing. Is you're meant to have three constituencies in a corporation. Your shareholders your employees and your customers, and you're meant to look after all of them equally. Well, think about how the oil companies are viewed. Yeah, they look after their shareholders, 
uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they don't care about either of the other two constituencies. Um, and, and there's no balance within them. They are a temporary aberration that is about to go away. But it's the, it's the style of them going away and how hard and how cleverly they fight to stay in the game that is uh, an area of concern for things like this. I, I, I would... I would do, do you think we that... should be banning oh, right. the cartel? We should be banning the cartel and making it internationally illegal to cooperate in pricing. Do you think government intervention is inevitable in all of these, um, all these things? You know, international governments, you know, like the uh, EU bloc or US, China, and so on. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? If consumers have pain, they're voters. If the voters have pain and politicians do nothing about their pain, they vote someone else into power. So, so politicians respond to that pain. So if, if the consumers don't have pain, like, like, for instance, the last 10 years of low-priced gas, then, then politicians leave it alone. It's, it's, you know, so I think, I think, yeah, obviously they, they have to get involved. I mean, Europe this week has agreed to spend 200 billion euros on um, supporting the price of gas. In the, in the EU, or lowering the price of gas. This is mostly um, in Germany. Uh, no, sorry, you're right. This is just the German contribution. There are other other initiatives going to go on in Italy, Spain, elsewhere. Uh, but but so so probably we'll end up with a trillion euros over time being spent uh, help, stopping people feeling the price of uh, uh, high natural gas. Well, you know, over a five, seven-year period. Well, the only way of, uh, for a government to justify that is it's temporary, and it's not over a five to seven-year period. They've got to do something about it. They've got to cut the supplies. They've got to cut the amount they use. They've got to regulate it, and they've got to um, dramatically drop the bill. Um, and then when you've dropped the usage, then the price will come down. Curiously, after the fact, <laughs> um, but, you know. But it's interesting how uh, nobody's threatened to fire them, um, and that, that they're being praised for it. Uh, in fact, most most coverage I've seen has been fairly neutral. Of, of the German government intervention, uh, uh, Chancellor Schultz. Yeah. However, in the UK, it's a completely yeah, different yeah, story. I mean, well, it was a completely different story because obviously it spooked the financial markets, and it wasn't sold purely as a as a um, as a fossil fuel um, price uh, hedge, which it should have been. Um, and we hear reverberations about that going on in the background, um, where negotiations are going on between utilities and uh, and the government and energy suppliers in the government, and they're wanting to push everybody onto a a contract for difference scheme going forwards, which means that their a price of their fuel will not be, the price of their electricity will not be pegged to the price of gas. Now, and they're, they're trying to doing it with a carrot and a stick. We'll give you nice, fat, long 15-year contracts, but if you don't do it, we're going to take all your money away. Um, so uh, there, there's some brutality going on in the background um, in the UK to make that happen. Uh, I'm all for it. 
I think that's exactly what we should be doing. And then when it comes to the, when you do the sums and say, well, this has cost the company 24 billion in debt, you say it's not actually debt because the contract for different scheme will yield all the money. So we don't actually need to borrow any, any money to do this. We've just done it. And, and then everyone's calculation that all these things cost 45 billion, could be 90 billion, suddenly go out the window because some of it isn't true. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit here and suggest that the UK Prime Minister is smart um, because of the way this was delivered. Um, but um, I, I think there's more going on in the background. That if we saw the complete picture, that the financial markets wouldn't panic quite so much. I mean, it's because it was tied to a tax cut. A tax cut right now was, uh, yeah, it's going to funded it, it flies tax in the face of reality, really. Yeah. But um, we're not meant to be talking about politics. No, 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 it's true. Politics, <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so um, I think right now, the, the, um, the Russian war and its impact on gas prices looms large right across the news landscape. It's the reason for making acquisitions in America. It's the reason for um, uh, for building islands in the sea. Uh, and it's potentially the reason for Europe getting back into the solar um, market, as well as many other things that are going on. Um, people uh, are using it as the main reason. When the war ends, uh, it be interesting to see how many of those reasons are still in play. Uh, anyway, I think that's going to be enough for this week's um, podcast. Um, the, we'll see you again next week hopefully, uh, well certainly by next week there will be many more stories, many of them uh, linked in some way to the uh, Russian-Ukraine war and the price of gas um, you can see them all at www.rethinkresearch.biz um, you click on the energy button and go to weekly analysis, that's a free service, and it's a free service to advertise how clever we are um, so that you can buy the paid service are under forecast and data. Um, if you're interested in the paid service, email Simon at rethinkresearch.biz and, um, and tell him what you need. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>